Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christodemia Internet Radio. Today is Sunday, September 28th, 2014, and this is our third installment of Christodemia Europe with Sven Longshanks. Hello, Bill. Yahweh, and we thank you for listening. Hello, Sven. Hello, Bill. Yeah, I'm glad to be here again. Um, it's, uh, it seems to be picking up quite well, this, um, these podcasts. I've had uh, quite a lot of good feedback from it, people that have been enjoying listening to it. Uh, it most of them have been listening to the downloads, and hopefully we will eventually get my voice sorted out on the live broadcasts. I've got another microphone that I've ordered, but it could be a couple of weeks until it gets here. Um, but hopefully it should sound a little better this week, and I'll try and speak a bit slower than um, I have done, so hopefully people will be able to understand what I'm saying. <clears throat> well, well, I can make out what you're saying rather clearly, so hopefully that'll carry through to, to the streams. The, the, um, today we're going to continue our theme on, on Christianity and morality, or, or the lack of Christianity and the lack of morality in, in, in Europe, as, as it currently stands. I had an interesting comment from a, uh, from a good friend and, and a Christogenia Forum member this afternoon, just um, minutes before this program began, we were having a small chat, and he's a he, he's a farmer, a professional farmer, and he, um, he he told me that he spent three years driving around East Anglia, in Britain, of course, at harvest time, and never saw a church service at an old church. Now, he goes to Britain for several months out of the year to oversee harvests and... and um, he never saw a church service at an old church. He said that he saw some weddings and some funerals, but never a church service, even though most villages have churches of their own. And, and they're just relics, as he said, they're just relics of a bygone age. And that's the condition that Europe's in. Now, now we understand from recent European history that the Christian churches have not really upheld the, the um, interests of the European people. That there's no doubt that there's a deeper reason, perhaps, for, for the apostasy that then merely Europeans becoming dissatisfied with Christianity. Perhaps Europeans actually became dissatisfied with the organized churches and 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 their Christian faith suffers for the lack of, of um, doctrinally sound organized churches. So, so there's more underlying the problem that, than what appears on the surface. Today we're going to um, begin with a story which depicts the lengths to which people at one time had gone in order to uphold morality in their nation. 
Now, this particular story dates to about 1100 to 1150 B.C., roughly. And, and um, it's a story from the Bible, from Judges chapters 19 and 20. We won't present the entire story, but we will present enough of it in order to demonstrate our point. And, and for that, Sven is going to read from, I, I, I believe, the King James Version. Yeah, King James Version. Would you like me to start now, Bill? Yes, be my guest. Okay, chapter 19, verse 1. <clears throat> and it came to pass in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. And his concubine played the whore against him, and went away from him unto her father's house, to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. And her husband arose, and went after her, to speak friendly unto her, and to bring her again, having his servant with him, and a couple of asses. And she brought him into her father's house, and when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him, and he abode with him three days. So they did eat and drink and lodged there. And it came to pass on the fourth day, when they arose early in the morning, that he rose up to depart, and the damsel's father said unto his son-in-law, Comfort thine heart with a morsel of bread, and afterwards go your way. And they sat down, and did eat, and drink, both of them together. For the damsel's father had said unto the man, Be content, I pray thee, and tarry all night, and let thine heart be merry. And when the man rose up to depart, his father-in-law urged him again. Therefore he lodged there again. And he arose early in the morning, on the fifth day, to depart. And the damsel's father said, Comfort thine heart, I pray thee. And they tarried until afternoon, and they did eat, both of them. And when the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine, and his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold, now the day draweth towards evening. I pray you, tarry all night. Behold, the day groweth to an end. Lodge here, that thine heart may be merry, and tomorrow get you early on your way, that thou mayest go home. But the man would not tarry that night, but he rose up and departed, and came over against Jebus, which is Jerusalem. And there were with him two asses saddled, his concubine also was with him. And when they were by Jebus, the day was far spent, and the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn in into this city of the Jebusites, and lodge in it. <clears throat> and his master said unto him, We will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. And, and Gibeah wasn't very far from Jerusalem, 
the city of the Jebusites or Jerusalem had not yet been taken by the Israelites. That didn't happen for almost another 150, 200 years until the time of David. So it was occupied by Canaanites, and the man wouldn't stop there. Yeah, they obviously they wouldn't. Well, they were ordered not to um, have anything to do with these people at all, were they? Right. Let alone men wouldn't do that. Let alone take their hospitality. <clears throat> do you want me to continue, Bill? Yes, please. Okay, verse thirteen. And he said unto his servant, Come and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down upon them when they were by Gibeah, which belongeth to Benjamin. And they turned aside thither to go in and to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat down in a street of the city, for there was no man that took them into his house to lodging. And behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, which was also of Mount Ephraim. And he sojourned in Gibeah, but the men of the place were Benjaminites. <clears throat> and when he had lifted up his eyes, he saw a wayfaring man in the street of the city. And the old man said, Whither goest thou, and whence comest thou? And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of Mount Ephraim. From thence am I. And I went to Bethlehem, Judah, but I am now going to the house of the Lord. And there is no man that receiveth me to house. Now, now this, um, at this time the house of the Lord was in Shiloh, in Ephraim. And Gibeah being northwest of Jerusalem, and Ephraim being northwest of, um, of Benjamin, we see the progression in a man's travels. That's not important. What, what's really important is that, and the house of the Lord refers to the tabernacle which was built in the wilderness and, and held the Ark of the Covenant and, and where the sacrifices were made until the time that the temple was built. But the, um, what's important is the um, hospitality here that one would give a man of their fellow race, one of their fellow kindred. But when you came into a strange town and you had been on a road, you could stop at the inn, or perhaps if you couldn't afford the inn, or if there was no inn, then it should be customary for a local person from the town to offer to put you up. And, and that's only um, the hospitality that we should show people of our own race. Of course, today we have... Uh, interstate highways and public transportation and a lot of things that have um, basically neutralized a lot of the need for this hospitality. But we should still show it when, when we see our fellows, our kindred, our racial kind in, 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 um, in need in need of comfort, in need of lodging, in, in need of a meal. And that's what this man is offering, this stranger. Yeah, that's, that's a way that we can all help each other out, really. I mean, I've helped uh, a few people out, a few colleagues, um, 
I would, I would say to describing people online that are, are doing the same thing as we are and advocating for the white race and they've had things to do that have been near the area where I live and I've, I've put them up and you know if I was to be going elsewhere in the country I would hope that um, somebody else would put me up rather than paying for a, a hotel you know, I think we should be this is one of the ways we can support each other well, well, once upon a time, when we saw people of our own kind, we could basically expect them to have the same moral values that we have. And, and when we showed them kindness, that we could expect to be treated in kind. Those days are um, far from us. <laughs> Okay, would you like me to continue, Bill? Okay. Yes, getting to the good part of the story. Verse 19. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me, and for thy handmaid, and for the young man which is with thy servants. There is no want of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with thee, howsoever let all thy wants be upon me only lodge not in the street. So he brought him into his house and gave provender unto the asses and they washed their feet and did eat and drink. Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house that we may know him. Now, Belial, that word Belial is used to refer, according to the lexicons, to worthless men, to worthless people. But the word Belial means worthless because it comes from a Hebrew word which means mixed. And it was used of things like seed. Because of the um, the biblical commandment not to sow your field with diverse seeds, when seed became contaminated by mixing two different kinds of seed together, and, and, and nobody was going to sit there and, and, and part one type from the other by hand, and there's no other way to sort them, well, that seed was considered worthless. Any seed that was mixed, or any people, or animals that were mixed, were considered worthless. So, so these men are ostensibly worthless men, men of Belial, because they were mixed. And in many places in the judges' period, and that's very clear from the biblical record, the children of Israel had been mixed in with the people of the Canaanites that they refused or, or failed to drive off from their lands. So, so that's why these are men of Belial. Okay. <clears throat> Shall I continue? Yes, please. Verse 23. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them and said unto them, 
Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly, seeing that this man is coming to mine house. Do not this folly. The, the, um, in the ancient world, especially amongst the Israelites, and it was a commandment to, to, um, to, to be kind to strangers, but that word stranger had a peculiar meaning. In, in when it was used in the law, to be kind to strangers as you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and and um, referring to the time of Joseph when the children of Israel were graciously accepted into Egypt. So especially in Israel, but also throughout the Greek world and even the Roman, there was, there was a high value placed upon guests in your home or in your community. Now, guests or strangers in this context refers to people, and this is very clear in the meaning of the Greek word xenos, and also the contextual use of the Hebrew word ger throughout the, um, the law. The, the, the guest or stranger in this case is a person from another country or from another land, or from another part of your land, who is unknown to you, but who has the expectation of certain rights and privileges in your land. Now, somebody from another part of Wales or England going to your town would have, where you live, would have the expectation of being treated according to the local customs and laws and, and, and expect a certain standard when he encountered other people of, of hospitality. The, um, the Greeks and, and the Hebrews upheld that to a great degree because they understood the to, to um, abuse people under your hospitality was to invite the wrath of God upon you, or the pagan group, the wrath of the gods. And, and that's a constant theme in scripture, but it's also a constant theme in ancient, read the tragic poets, Euripides, Aeschylus, there are frequently mentions of the care that must be given to ensure that guests in your home and community are kept safe. Otherwise, you invited the wrath of the gods upon your head. So, so the Greek culture in this respect will... ...take terms. This man, this man of Benjamin, is um, very afraid that his guest is going to be abused, and, and, and that would reflect on him, it would destroy his house as well. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. He he refers to the people outside as brethren, yet they're sons of Belial and mixed. <clears throat> well, right, but the perception already we could see, and we see this in the Book of Ruth, and in several other places in the Book of Judges, and and. And, and Samuel, that the perception, that the, the perception of allegiance had already become 
geographical more than it was tribal. That those those um, those lines that the understanding of allegiance to somebody of your blood was already being encroached upon by an allegiance to somebody of your geography. And that's a bad mistake that we have made all throughout our history. Still causes in sports bars all over all over England. Yet you'll see a um a nigger but with um Irish boxing trunks on and and he's fighting a white man from America perhaps who who has American boxing trunks on and all the Irishmen are gonna root to the nigger because he has Irish boxing trunks on, because he has green trunks on, and he's fighting for Ireland. It, it happens all the time. But when they should be hoping that their racial kinsman wins the match, not somebody who's simply wearing the colors of their country, which is basically like flying under a false flag. And it causes so much confusion, doesn't it? It's like... Uh when you, people say European, and they mean the white man, but we were all over the world before in the past, and, and we lived out in the Middle East. So what do you say, you know, how do you describe us when we were out in the Middle East? You can't say we were Europeans, but we're called Europeans now just because we live in Europe. It's, it's a very, of course, there's a lot of confusion, I think, that, the, the geographic names being mixed up with the ethnic names. Okay, shall I continue, Bill? Now, of course, another problem here is that the children of Israel were warned in Judges chapter 3 that, that if they allowed these Canaanites to stay among them, that they would start to act like the Canaanites, that they would become morally corrupt and, and, and take after the ways of the heathens. Today we have... Uh, how many countless Uyghurs in our society because they've, they've been exposed, exposed to Negro culture and they've started to imitate the Negro. It's, it's all over Europe and America. We get dragged down to their level <clears throat> in everything. And even worse than that, it, we actually try and emulate them. It's not so much being dragged down to their level, but our people deliberately wish to be like them, and policies are, are put in place to make us more like them. There was just, just something um, released today, or yesterday, to do with sex education in Britain, and their model for the way that a man will behave is the way that the Pakistani rapists have behaved in Rotherham and they brought out a new sex education module for 11 year olds and they're teaching children that all men behave like the Pakistani rapists in Rotherham just because there's one group, one ethnic group that behaves like that they're now saying that all ethnic groups behave like that so they're saying that the white man behaves like that so everything goes to the lowest common denominator and they affect us and with the traitors that are running our governments, they're, they're in, expecting us to behave like them, and the, and the information that they're putting out encourages us 
to behave like them. And, and, and white men have invited that upon themselves by not standing up for morality in their nation, as we will see in this story. Yeah. Now, now these men are um, basically that, that they're about to lose their own lives if they don't satisfy, in some way, satiate the lusts of, of this crowd of men outside their house, but which accounts for the next portion of the story. Okay, verse 25. But the men would not hearken to him. 24, unless I'm mistaken, I'm sorry. Ah, 24, sorry. Verse 24. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them, and deal with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine, and brought her forth unto them. And they knew her, and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day, and fell down at the door of the man's house, where her lord was, till it was light. And her lord rose up in the morning, and opened the doors of the house, and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house, and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up, and let us be going. But none answered. Then the man took her up upon an ass, and the man rose up, and sat at him unto his place. So and she, this woman was basically raped to death. I'm sorry, go on. Verse 29. And when he was coming to his house, he took a knife and lay hold on his concubine and divided her, together with her bones, into twelve pieces and sent her into all the coasts of Israel. And it was so that all that saw it said, There is no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider of it, take advice, and speak your minds. Now from the, um, you know, from the, the text of the story itself, we see that the actual deeds which the man did with his concubine had to be much greater than simply cutting her up and sending out the pieces. He, he, he must have included enough information with, with the, um, the pieces of his concubine so that everywhere that they were taken, the people who saw the parts of her body would understand exactly what happened. And cutting her up, going to that extreme measure and sending out her actual body parts, parts throughout the land, shows people that the, the, um, the, the man used that device evidently to show people the gravity of what had happened to this woman. So, that this, that the entire account must have been much more elaborate. The Bible is written in a very concise manner. 
chapter 20. Okay. <clears throat> chapter 20, verse 1. Then all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation was gathered together as one man from Dan, even to Beersheba, with the land of Gilead, unto the Lord in Mitzpah. And the chief of all the people, even of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 footmen that drew sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel were gone up to Mitzpah. Then said the children of Israel, Tell us, how was this wickedness? And the Levite, the husband of the woman that was slain, answered and said, I came into Gibeah that belongeth to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to lodge. And the men of Gibeah rose against me, and beset the house round about me by night, and thought to have slain me, and my concubine have they forced, that she is dead. And I took my concubine, and cut her in pieces, and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed lewdness and folly in Israel. Behold, ye are all children of Israel, give here your advice and counsel. This Levite, this man's a Levite, and, and um, he made a direct appeal for justice to his kindred for what was done to his concubine. Now, I, I posted some uh, pretty graphic pictures at times on Christogenia or especially on the Saxon Messenger website of rape victims and, and, and um, when I, whenever I could get my hands on them of rape and murder victims and um, people have actually said to me don't post that, that's too graphic this is a Christian website you shouldn't post those graphic pictures of beaten, cut up, raped, naked women well, well sometimes that's what it takes this man cut his concubine up and sent the pieces out to the various tribes of Israel in order to relate the, the gravity of, of the crime and, and send a message about what had happened to his wife. A concubine is basically a, a, a secondary wife in the ancient Hebrew world. So, so it took that graphic picture and he got a response in kind. He got the response that he needed to get. And today we should think the same way. We shouldn't be afraid to publish um, the evidence of what these beasts that dwell among us are doing to our people. It's uh, important there that he's a, you say he's a Levite, as a priest, so that's a, the equivalent of a priest's wife that these right. men of Belial have, have done this to. You know, it, it is important to publish this stuff. It, you know, this is why we collect it over at the Daily Stormer in the, in the race war section. And it is important that, that people see it. Now, I don't understand why it doesn't have the desired effect when you, when you show it to people. You know, it, it, people say, I don't want to see it. I don't, I don't want to look at that. But they need to look at that because that's what's going on around us, and that's what we, need, you know, that's what people need to be aware of to protect themselves from it, protect their daughters from it, protect their friends' daughters from it. You know, it's, every 
15 minutes in America that a, a woman is raped by a black man. And at least every, I think I worked it out at, um, three people a week, three white men a week were killed by a, a non-white living in Britain. And that's probably increased by now. So you've literally had millions of women raped by these creatures and hundreds of thousands of our men have been slain, uh, let alone just the, the people that have been mugged and robbed. And, you know, a lot of this, it's like 88-year-old women, 90-year-old nuns, old men, old women, the, the most frail in our society that these beasts would just break into their houses, rape and murder them. You know, and, and we're just, nothing's being said about it. It's appearing in, in local newspapers and local television stations. None of it is appearing on, on national news. And, you know, these pictures, like, like you were saying, Bill, it's the equivalent of the Levite sending out the, the evidence of the crime to, to the tribes of Israel by cutting the, the body up of his concubine. He is reduced to having to cut her body up and send it out to the people to, to get the message across. Look, this really happened. Here's the evidence of it. I would not have cut my concubine's body up unless she had been defiled in that way. You know, it was like proof of it. <clears throat> well, we're going to see what, um, what, what happened, what their advice was now. Okay, so uh, this is chapter 20, verse 8. And all the people arose as one man, saying, We will not any of us go to his tent, neither will we any of us turn into his house. But now this shall be the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up by lot against it, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand out of ten thousand, to fetch victual for the people that they may do when they come to Gibeah of Benjamin, according to all the folly that they have wrought in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, knit together as one man. And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What wickedness is this that is done among you? Now therefore, deliver us the men, the children of Belial, which are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. But the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities unto Gibeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. Now, now the rest of Judges chapter 20 describes a war which happened between 11 of the tribes of Israel and the Benjaminites on account of this, because the Benjaminites, allied by geography and not by morality, would not surrender the men who committed this crime, which they certainly should have been more than willing to do to extricate those men from their own community, what which they would certainly want to do because these men were certainly extremely immoral that they were homosexuals at first. They demanded the man at first. If, if we go back into Judges 19, they wanted to know 
the man himself, the, the stranger, the traveler, the Levite who is traveling and being hosted in their town. So, so they settled for his concubine, ultimately, but that these were, well, well, we see them today on the streets of New York all the time and, and elsewhere. They're here in Florida, too. That's the type of men they are. Um, rabbit sex scenes that the Jewish media is want to create today. In ancient times, the Baal temples and the ancient Canaanites were creating those fiends in Israel, the uh, people that we now know as Jews. They bring Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah wherever they go. They, they, they create Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. The um, parallels today are astounding because today we are bringing strangers into our nations and they are raping our women at alarming rates. And, and Sweden is the, um, the absolute best example of this and, and, and nobody is standing up like they stood up in ancient times. Men are not banding together to protect their women as this Levite encouraged the children of Israel to do by sending out Elon, which he did. And these children of Israel, at great expense, avenged this man. And, and, and a tribe in Israel, tens of thousands of men died in, in the ensuing war, and one of the tribes of Israel was completely, almost completely wiped out. It was wiped out but for 500 men who needed wives when it was over. So all their wives had been run off, taken hostage into the other tribes, taken as war, war booty or killed. And, and that's the, the, the extreme that these men went to to uphold morality in their nation, that they were willing to die in order to do so. Today, we have local authorities who basically go through the motions when these same crimes are committed and, and really don't care. It, it's, um, I have a report I'll discuss a little later, I, I hope, if we get to it, from 2009. And it says that um, in Sweden, less than 13% of the rape cases reported in 2007 less than 13% of them resulted in legal proceedings. So the local authorities basically ignored over 87% of the rape cases in Sweden in 2007. There was no justice. There was nobody to turn to. And nobody in Sweden stood up for justice, evidently. Because it's... it's that the women in Sweden are still being raped at even higher rates today than 2007. And we don't read a whole lot about things being done to stop the problem. They've actually banned people from um, speaking out against immigration in Sweden now. You're not allowed to criticize immigration 
and you're not allowed to mention race. You're not allowed to say that there is any difference between the races. You're not allowed to come out with a description for another race. There was recently the, um, I'm not sure if it was the Prime Minister or the head of one of the parties was groveling and apologising for saying the word gypsy because they're no longer allowed to say the word gypsy. So they're literally take, trying to take away the, the means of actually speaking out about this. If you think that way back then, this was just one woman who was defiled like this, and all the tribes worked together as one to avenge her honour. And you think how many, well, it's got to be millions of white women around the world that have, that have had this done to them, and, and nothing's been done about it. Nothing at all. And, you know, if you think of just what it must have taken to, to brainwash us into not acting how we should do, you know, it's, it's a really serious attack that we've had on our way, on our way of thinking. And if we'd kept with our Christian morals, then there's no way that this, this could have happened. There's no way that this, that this could have happened, could have been allowed to happen. But you've now got the churches that are saying that it's a sin to be racist and to look out for the interests of your race. And you've got a church that's saying that we should be allowing sodomites to be priests. And in some cases, they're actually agitating to allow sodomites to call what they do marriage. And, ha- and have some kind of celebration in a church, which, well, you know, sodomy is the, it's the satanic inversion of the creative act, the sacrament of marriage. It's, 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 so sodomy is like the equivalent of a black mass, but it's, it's, it's like a black mass version of the creative act. And they're actually now trying to call it marriage, and the majority of people are going along with this. Because the, the churches have been infiltrated and taken over, and the, the, the heads of the churches, uh, whether they know what they're doing or not, they are completely deluded. They are the people that have been sent a strong delusion by God. You know, we've got to be living in the end times because there are no churches left. There are no establishment churches left. You know, I'm of a firm conviction that the only people that are actually following true doctrine are people that are following Christian identity doctrine. Well, well they're, they're, an awakening has to come sooner or later because people have to understand that call to come out of Babylon when it comes. People have to understand a call outlined in the prophecy of Micah to arise and fresh, O daughter of Zion, when they hear that call to come out of the, the, the um, Sodom and Gomorrah, which the international global community has, um, which has been imported to every one of our nations, has, has created. And, and that is Mystery Babylon. The, um, I, I'm going to read from an article to, to illustrate some things, that, that, that quote I just read about 13% of the rape cases in Sweden being um, resulting in legal proceedings, meaning that 87% of them are ignored, that was from 2007. 
I'm going to read from, from um, LiveLeak, and, and this information is corroborated in many places on the Internet. I'm going to read an article from LiveLeak dating to uh, 2013. And it says, Muslims raped over 300 Swedish children and 700 women in the first seven months of 2013, which is the tip of the iceberg as 90% of the rape cases go unreported. In the first seven months of 2013, over 1,000 Swedish women reported being raped by Muslim immigrants, not in all of Sweden, but in the capital city of Stockholm, one city. Over 300 of those were under the age of 15. The number of rapes is up 16% so far this year compared to 2012 numbers. A large proportion of the increase include the rape of young preteen girls. The official radio report quoted from BRA, which is the Swedish National Council for Crime Prevention, that's a joke, refuses to mention the M-word, meaning Muslims, in the socialist suffocated Sweden, a country held hostage by the extreme left. But when you contact senior police and government sources, they confirm anonymously in fear of losing their job that those numbers represent Muslims. And the majority of these rapes are sexual assault and, and sexual assaults are caused by Mainstrom's new arrivals. The asylum seekers. And these numbers are only the tip of the iceberg. According to authorities, Sweden's real rape statistics are 400 to 900% higher than the official numbers. Now, the, the, the rape rate in Sweden has become such, such a uh, source of embarrassment that even the BBC has published an article and, and, and has commented on this in other places. They published one article written by a Jewess named Ruth Alexander that Sweden's rape rate, the title of the article is Sweden's Rape Rate Under the Spotlight. But that article attempted, even though many other sources say that even in Sweden only a small fraction of the rapes are actually reported, the BBC News attempted to state that the rape rate in Sweden is so high because of much more efficient reporting. And, and that's just misinformation, and, and it's basically just a lie. I have some uh, statistics, and, and we can compare Sweden to, to many other places. It, it mostly compares to third world countries. But Sweden in 2000 and Three only had 2,235 cases of, of, of raped women reported. And in 2007, when that Amnesty International article was published, it was 4,749. And in 2010, it was 5,960. And the, the, the rape rate in Sweden goes up more quickly then the number of Muslim immigrants as a percentage of the population are imported. But the only variable in Sweden over all these years is the percentage of Muslims in the country. And, and it's uh, importing hundreds of thousands of Muslims in, in, in some years. The population had a 500,000 
Well, when the birth rates are down in all European countries to, to practically zero population growth or negative population growth, Sweden's population grew by half a million, and that represents over 20% of its population from 2004 to 2010, and that half a million represents immigrants over that same time period. And 80% of those immigrants are coming from Arab countries in, in some cases. And, and some figures give me a lower rate of, of perhaps 65%, where 35% come from other places in the EU. And, and they're rough figures based on what I read this morning, but they could be verified in, in, in many places on the Internet. It, it's, uh, Sweden is taking in vast numbers of, of Muslims, Muslim Arabs, and, and Negroes from, from um, the Middle East and Northern Africa, and, and the rape rate is um, the, the rape of Swedish of white Swedish women and children. It is growing even faster than, than the immigration is than the pace of immigration. It, it's incredible. They won't deport them either. When, when they catch them, they, they make excuses and say that they have a different culture to us and, and it, it, they can't cope with our culture, so we have to make exceptions for them. And they don't deport them, and they're lucky if they get community service. You know, I've seen some, a, a horrific case, where, and it was a repeat offender, and they kept arresting him, and then they kept letting him go out again, and then he would go out and rape children again, and they would bring him in again, and he didn't even end up having a court case for about two years. And then he had a court case, and he was just given community service, and, and the Swedes were furious about this, and this was a Somalian, and the judge was just making excuses, saying that he came from a different culture. And the, the, the culture with, in Africa, they, they never even had a word for rape until we went over there. I mean, there's no difference between rape and sex to the Negro. Just the same as there isn't with, with any other type of animal. You know, rape or sex, is, it's, it's all the same thing to them. The idea of, um, uh, of consent is not something that they properly understand, these Negroes. So you import them into our country and, and they see our women especially if our women are walking around without a man with them, accompanied, they just think, well, you know, that, that's fair game. And then they'll just jump on them and attack them. You see, it's seen it happen just recently in Glasgow, an asylum seeker. He hadn't even been in the country for three weeks before he had raped a woman, a white woman, who was on her way to, to doing a night shift. At first, he, he offered to pay. Because he, he thought she must be a prostitute. She, she, you know, I must be able to pay for this. And when she said no, he, he raped her. This is their mindset. In, in Africa itself, um, I forget which particular one it is. I think it might be Eritrea. And the, the Negress women there, the, the fisherwomen, their whole economy bases around fish and sex. And they pay for the fish which they get from the fishermen with sex. So, you know, all of the fishermen and all, all of the women are all just sleeping with one another and, the, and that's, that's the economy. 
is basically sex. And you've got the UN that are going in there trying to change all this. But that's, that's their natural way of being. That's the natural way that they behave. I mean, it's just, it's quite obvious to me that they are totally different to us. And they are beasts. We are men and they are beasts. If you bring the beasts in among the men, that's the way they're going to behave. You know, they are just going to behave like wild beasts and they will tear our women apart. And we are just allowing this to go on and, and we're, we're covering it up. And all our um, community leaders and the people that uh, run the news, the newscasters and all the spokesmen, they all say the same thing. They're, they've all been programmed that when stuff like this happens, they've got to say things like, oh, we live in a multicultural society. And uh, all the people in our multicultural society are so proud of that and they work so hard to promote it. There is no place in our society for people who reject diversity. You know, or they'll start talking about the vibrant culture that these people bring and we mustn't let the nasty racists upset it. Now, all these people have been sent on these diversity courses and they get sent on one or, or two day courses where they get taught that this is what they must say. This is how they must respond in these cases. And they brainwash them, the same as with the white privilege um, conference that they have in America. And they brainwash these people and they make them out to think, feel that they're terrible oppressors and they've terribly oppressed the blacks and the non-whites and that they owe these people and that we should allow them to come into our countries because of the dreadful way that we have treated them. So they brainwash them and they beat them down over two or three days and they use neuro-linguistic programming, which is like almost like hypnosis. Uh, a lot of these people have freaked out from these courses. But they put them on these courses, and at the end of it, they're like different people. And, the, and there's, there's a, a group which does this, and they're called Common Purpose. They're a really sinister group. And all the um, counsellors that were at Rotherham had been through the Common Purpose training. Now, Common Purpose say that what they do is they create future leaders. So they select people from different fields and then they indoctrinate them with this diversity training. They, they grind them down and make them out to be terrible people. They use this neuro-linguistic programming and then they come out at the other end of it just repeating this diversity nonsense. And that's why whenever you see these spokesmen on the television, whenever anything like this happens or you see them in the newspapers, they're all saying exactly the same thing. Because they've all been programmed to say this, you know. This, you know, I, sp I can spot it all the time. I mean, that's why we end up using words like enriching and 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 vibrant, you know, to describe these people when they do these crimes, because that's what these people are saying. And the reason why they're saying it is because they've all been programmed to say it. And you'll notice it's, it's the same in the media. And, and another part, that, another reason why people aren't standing up to this is because. Whenever we see these blacks and non-whites on the television, they're always portrayed as as really great people. They, they, they put them in comedies, or they make them out to be doctors, or they make them out to be lawyers. And you never ever see any of them actually on any chat shows, because that would burst the bubble for people. People would realise what they are really like. They're not the same as us. They really are not the same as us. Yeah. I remember, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about culture from, from my um, New York City area, northern New Jersey youth. 
I wasn't born until 1960, but but um, I remember quite a few things from from my youth, and and my father had always brought me around to the taverns, and 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 I had a good dose of society before I was eight years old. The um, the 1960s, I still remember people that had the attitude that you did not talk to a female. You did not talk to a woman, unless, especially a young woman. You could talk to an older woman, of course, a, 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 um, a matron or a widow. You did not talk to a young woman or to a girl unless you had been introduced to her by a male member of her family. You didn't talk to her. It, it was um, almost taboo to talk to her. And at one time it was taboo to talk to young women, to just approach them on the street and, and speak to them, unless you had been properly introduced to them. The, um, in the 1960s, it was still considered dangerous for women to walk the streets alone at night and improper, and women, for the most part, did not walk the streets alone at night when I was a child. In the, um, in the taverns, there was a separate entrance at the back of the taverns, and that entrance had a sign above it, and it said, Ladies' Entrance. Women did not enter the taverns through the front doors, and they did not sit at the bar. Taverns that had a ladies' entrance usually had tables in the back room where couples could sit. But you didn't bring your wife or your girlfriend to sit at the bar because that was considered highly improper and made her a target for advances from the men at the bar and, and, and the bartenders quite often would not allow it because they didn't want the hassles which accompanied having a woman in that sort of situation. So there was a ladies' entrance on the tavern and women didn't go in the front door. They'd go into the ladies' entrance, they'd sit at the tables in the back with their boyfriend <clears throat> husbands, and they left through the ladies' entrance. And, and um, it was a very different society. But back then, even where I'm from, it was a very um, homogenous white society. Most of the people, there were a lot of Jews in, in the New York City area, in New Jersey, but most of the people were apparently white and, and for the most part acted like they were white. The, the immigration floods didn't come until the late 60s and didn't really affect me as a child. We had our Negroes, don't get me wrong, but the... Um, the Hispanics, Latinos, Arabs, Filipinos, um, East Asians, th those people didn't start flooding into the country until the early 70s, from, from my perspective, where, where I was. The, the, um, that now society is totally broken down, and all those want things that were once that were once taboo are now out the window. But, on the other hand, now we have all of these aliens in our lands, and you're right, they do look at white women as prey, because women 
walking the streets unaccompanied are prey where these people came from. They are open targets when they're not escorted where these people came from. And that's how they treat women, like objects. And, and, and um, women who were unescorted by their husbands or, or fathers or brothers and are walking the streets at night are seen as whores. And, and, and um, in, in, in these third world nations. And, and they were once seen as whores in Christian European nations. That didn't make them targets but they were seen as lowly women. Um, even in the story of the, the, the concubine, the man had taken a concubine in, in the beginning of Judges, and, and she played the whore and went back to her father's house. If a woman leaves her husband's or her father's house and is found alone, and, and she's with a husband, she has to stay with her husband at all times. And if she leaves his house she's described as having played the whore. It doesn't matter if she actually stood on a corner or not and sold herself. If she's out of the, the protection of her husband and roaming around alone, women were seen as playing the whore. Now, that might sound cruel. That might sound unjust. But women who, who are out of their homes and, and wandering about alone are seen as whores by these people from these third world nations. And at one time, that's how they were perceived in America and in Europe. Because women that did, so, did those things were either inviting trouble or, 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 or were going to find it regardless. Now, the... Um, even in the 1950s and, and 60s, when the society was rather homogenous, the rape, the, the rape rates were still, even with the liberation of women in a totally white society, the rape rates were still astonishingly low. And, and that's because white men at those times had a strong Christian moral foundation, even if they were not professing Christians. The way I see Sweden is that the bureaucracy and, and the police infrastructure especially is not accustomed to the ways of these animals that are flooding nations who do prey on women, and especially white women. They're not accustomed to that. They're not equipped to handle what is basically the same thing we said about England a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, what is basically an, an army of invaders invading Sweden and preying on white women. They're accustomed to a homogenous white society where crime is extremely low comparatively and the, the entire criminal justice atmosphere in that sort of environment can operate at a very relaxed pace. So, so they're still at that relaxed pace, and they're not equipped to handle an invading army of, of aliens who see the white society as prey, especially because they understand that they're not going to be punished. 
when only 13% of rape cases are even considered to, for um, criminal legal proceedings, 2007 in Sweden, that was the case, according to Amnesty International, then what's the, well, what's the risk? Go out and rape yourself a few women. Go get yourself some white women and rape them because you're not going to be punished. If the wolf, if the wolf's not going to be shot, he's going to continue to devour the sheep. There's no way around that. And, and, and there's no moral foundation in Sweden, and men are not standing up for the women. They're just not doing it, and they should be. They should be guarding their women closely in, in such an environment. And and not persuading or, or, or allowing or, or encouraging them to go out at night alone. They should be strongly discouraging it. Not because men should should um should, should dominate their women, and and indeed they should scripturally, but only out of common sense. If it was only seen as common sense, because at one time. It was common sense for women to stay under the protection of their fathers and, and their brothers and their husbands. It was not only a, a um, biblical commandment, it was plain common sense. Because women would be victims if they, if they chose not to do that. Or they would be prostitutes, one or the other. So this is the predicament that we're in. Our lack of morality... And our failure to stand up for, 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 for righteousness has led us to the predicament where our women are a, an absolute prey to, to these other races. And we having no moral foundation, we meaning white men, we can't do a damn thing about it. When this Levite sent the body parts out to the tribes of Israel, he wasn't appealing to the police. He wasn't appealing to a king. There was no king in Israel. As it says right in Judges 19.1 at the beginning of the story. So there was no predominant authority except for the moral authority which guided the, the spirits of the people at that time. And they, the people, made the decision that they were going to stand up for morality and were not going to allow such things to happen to women in their country. And this is why women always needed a husband. And this, this is the, the harm that feminism has done. Right? It's always very important that... Um, Women found themselves a husband. That was, you know, what they were. That was their aim in their life was to get themselves a good husband. If they got to 25 or 30 and they weren't married, there was there was something wrong, and they were looked down on, and they were protected by their husbands. But nowadays, with the state and, and with the police, they expect to be protected by the police. They expect to be protected. By the state, if they if they end up getting pregnant, they expect the state to look after them rather than the husband looking after them. It's like the the state itself has has pushed men out of the way and and put itself in their place. And the state can't be there all the time. 
to protect them. The, you know, the natural way of being is, is a husband and a wife, and the husband protects and provides for the wife, and the wife defers to the husband, knowing that the husband defers to God's law. And that's the way things should be. Because it's not like that, and because we've allowed these other creatures into our lands, it's just left our women wide open to be abused like this. There was one other thing I just wanted to bring up, Bill. I mean, it's so clear that that's the way these creatures behave. is because the way their women have to be covered from head to toe in black. So you can't see them. You can't even see their hands sometimes. You can't see any any flesh whatsoever in case it arouses one of them and causes one of them to to jump on them and rape them. But, you know th- that's that's the way they are. And the punishments that they have in their countries, they'll chop their hands off, they'll stone them to death, they'll whip them, they'll flog them. They'll have these really barbaric punishments, and then they'll come over to a, a white country. We don't have any punishments like that. We have no punishments like that. What, what are we going to do? But put them in prison for six months at the most, or put them on a community service? They don't care. They don't have a conscience. Our people have a, have a conscience. That's why our, our, our system of law works the way that it does. We have a conscience. We feel bad when we do the wrong thing, unless we've got a psychological problem, or we're from a, a, a degenerate. Um, we have a degenerate, degenerate genetic heritage. But apart from that, we have a conscience and we feel badly about these things. They don't. They're just like animals. The, the, um, the God of creation requires men to be of moral substance and to be willing to uphold the principles outlined in that moral substance. The Bible consistently derides the gods of the heathen as being idols and spells out that idols are ineffectual in your real everyday life, that idols cannot sustain you, idols cannot protect you, idols are are just vanity. And today, to most of our people, the government has become their god. The government is therefore an idol, and the idol will not protect them, and the idol will not sustain them. But they think they're getting this, that, that these um, social benefits or, or, or whatever they're looking to get from the government, and they've traded away their real God and their morality to chase after this vain government idol that's not going to sustain or protect them in the long run, that really doesn't care about them and really can't do anything for them. So that's today today's government worship is the same thing as ancient idolatry. There's no difference. It, it's a lot more sophisticated looking and it, it, it um, can be justified, but it's still idolatry. And until the common people find, once again, that moral substance and are willing to defend it and, and by that way serve the real God, the, the real creator. Well, well, 
then we're going to continue to be raped, looted, robbed, and pillaged. And, and, and you can't look to the government to fix our problems. You, meaning each and every one of us as individuals, have to be willing to stand up for what is just and morally good on our own. That's the story in Judges 19 and 20. That is the only cure we have today. So that, that basically um, is tantamount to saying that when my people who are called by my name repent and, and turn from their evil ways, that I will heal their land. It's the, the natural outcome of returning to Christian morality. You don't have to go to church. Don't go to church. But to return to the principles outlined in the Ten Commandments, the natural outcome would be a reversal of the decline which we are currently suffering. And that's the only way to reverse that decline. The only way to get healthy again, isn't it? You need to be. We need to be spiritually healthy as well as physically healthy. And this, you know, there's nothing. I think these these women they've traded their their happiness and their security. They traded everything just for the chance to think that they can compete with men. And why would women want to compete with men in the first place? Women are, are completely different to men. We, we cannot compete on a on a level playing field. That's why they try and bring in these um, quotas to try and make people employ women in managerial positions and try and give out extra funds to try and get women to be scientists and politicians. That's not the natural way for a woman to be. Women are, are emotional. You know, they, they, are, they aren't capable of competing with men because they're not supposed to compete with men. They, they're supposed to well, according to the Bible, they're supposed to be the, the helpmate for the man. They're supposed to help the man in, in what he does, and the man protects the woman and provides for them. And if, if our women uh, were married with the man, then and they weren't working, there'd be enough jobs for the men. As, at the moment, it's only half as many jobs for the men because they try and get the women to work. It means that the children... Uh, uh, miss out on having their their mother there all the time at home, and it means it means that half the time they don't have a father because because the, the woman thinks that she doesn't need one. And then if you do have the the uh, uh, husband and wife and they're on an equal footing, nobody has the final say. You're, you're going to be arguing all the time because nobody has the final say. Uh, and the the, the 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 biblical way that things are supposed to be is a man obeys God's law, looks to God for the for the answer to how he should behave. He, he is an example, leads by example, and the woman looks to the man to lead by that example. And the woman instructs the children, and the, and the children then have a uh, they have a sense of security, and the, and then they grow up, they have their children. And the, the mother and the father then see their grandchildren. There's nothing that makes people happier than being grandparents seeing their grandchildren. You know, this is something that you know, I see all the time. There's nothing that makes people happier than their grandchildren. 
And they wouldn't, and, and half these people that are around today, you know, they, they are missing out on that because they're, they're, they've, they've got children without fathers, children that, um, don't even know their fathers that are not being brought up in a, in a stable home. If you're not brought up in a stable home, if you haven't got that stable background at, at, right at the very beginning, you're going to have real problems with, with creating one for yourself when you get to that age. You know, we've got to give people a, a, a stable foundation in life right at that very beginning. It's so important to give people a stable foundation in life. And that's what the Christian moral, moral system encourages. It's all based around care for the family, the family unit, and then the family unit reproducing itself. And an extension from that is care for the nation and, and care for your race and care for your people. The, the whole of Christianity is about, you know, it's about just encouraging the right, the right way to be and protection for your people. And if we hadn't lost our, lost our way, and we haven't been given the wrong guidance by the by the churches, then these women wouldn't have been raped. We would never have allowed it to happen. It, it, the first time it happened, that would have been it. All these people would have been ejected from the country. Now, there was uh, Elizabeth the First ejected all the Negroes from England just because there was, there was a, a fear that they might be um, preventing white people from getting jobs. So they ejected all of them. Just because there was a, there was a fear, there wasn't anything to show that they they had taken jobs away from white people, but there was, and they ejected all, all of them because there was that much loyalty to the the English nation at that time, and that was when when England Britain was was still a Christian nation, and the loyalty was to their people. When you lose the your, your Christian foundation to things, then you don't have that loyalty. You don't you don't have that loyalty. You, you, you seems to realize that you're, you're something special that's created by God that's separate to all the other nations, set separate to the beasts. You, you talk, women have a lot more power in controlling the moral climate in the country than, than they, they even realize. But that takes confidence on, on, on the part of women also. And, and I'm not relieving men of any responsibility for the position that we're in. Believe me, men don't understand that, that if they um, think they deserve a, a virginal wife, that they should leave women alone until they themselves are married. Because if you go out and, and test drive 10 cars and, 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 and um, spend your life in profligacy, when you go buy a new car, what makes you think you deserve a car that, that's never been driven? It, it's that simple. When you were a child and wanted a bike, you, you lusted after that nice, shiny new bike in the store window. And if your father tried to give you a used bike, you, you kick and scream and, and cry. And, and on the other hand, women, if, if they've had two, three hundred, some of them, the stories I hear are just horrendous. If they've had so many lovers, and, and let everybody ride the bus before they get married, what makes them think they're going to find a guy that actually values them? They didn't value themselves. So, so the, the path to morality is a two-way street, and, and both men and women are, are, are um, responsible for being continent in a moral society. 
and it's um, the, the Jewish media has really debilitated our society by convincing people at first that it was cool for a guy to go out and try to get all the women he could before he got married. And that was the climate in the 1970s. I remember it. It was cool for a guy, but it wasn't cool for a woman. And then well, women's rights made it cool for women, too. So now everybody's a whore, and they've been married dozens or hundreds of times before they actually think that they're married. And, and husbands treat their wives like dirt, and, and vice versa, because they are that bike that, that's been ridden a hundred times that before you finally get your hands on it. So why should you respect it when you got it for, for a fraction of its value because it's already had 200,000 miles on it? Nobody's going to respect their car that already has 200,000 miles on it. Nobody's going to cherish it and, and treat it like it's worth something when it's already all dented up and, and worn out. And, and people don't transfer that, that, that common sense to the maintenance of their own persons. And, and, and that's the, the morality problem is, well, well it's a two-way street. It's male and female. But women ha have the most power to straighten that out if they themselves keep themselves virginal. That, that's the way it is. And a man obtaining uh, a, a desirable virgin obtains a, um, a precious gem in, in his youth and will look to, to maintain and cherish and care for that. That bike that, uh, that, that um, you got when you were 13, it was brand new. Yeah, you, you looked out for that bike, and, and yet you didn't want anybody else to ride it. And, and you didn't want it to get any scratches or bruises. But that bike that you got when you were 13 that 20 other kids had already ridden, you didn't care about it. You threw it around. You, you, um, you, you didn't care if the, the, the little nigger down the block stole it for a night or two and you go and rob it back out of his yard. So, so it's the same thing as, as, as um, in male and female relations. So people cherish um, things that are private and personal and, and theirs. And, and um, people despise things that are common, profane, and shared by everybody. That's the way it is. That's the way we're made. And, and um, people should transfer the way they think about bikes and cars and, and, and things like that to the way they think about their own bodies. And, and we'd be better off. But what we now have a... a um, Society where, where the devil has convinced us that we could go put 200,000 miles on our, on, on our asses and still convince some man or some woman that, are, that our asses are valuable. And it's just not the case. Just because you don't see the mileage doesn't mean it, that it has an effect. A large, uh, another part of that is it's almost like a homosexualization of men who see encouragement to have as many partners as possible. That was always a homosexual thing. The heterosexual straight man 
got married and had one woman and stayed with that one woman. It was the homosexuals that went out looking for as many partners as possible. And the Jews in the media have transferred that onto the heterosexual man and said, well, this is, this is the macho behavior. This is the male behavior. Go out and pull as many women as you can. And they've de deceived the white man into behaving like that, into behaving in the same way that the homosexual does. And they've encouraged the women to behave like that as well. And if you look, if you look back, right back to the early days of, of our people, we had arranged marriages. You know, even marriage wasn't marrying because you were in love with someone. You married who you were told to marry. That was honouring your mother and your father. You married who who was part of your caste. And people who married for lust, which is what we would say today, married for love, were looked down on. Because you can fall out of love just as easy as you can fall in, in love. And that was the reasoning behind it. And uh, you can look today, actually, at, at India and, uh, and these arranged marriages that they have, where they didn't marry for lust or for if they fell in love. You know, they're really happy people. When you look at them when they're in their 60s, never seen so, so many happy people. The BBC did a program on arranged marriage, and they couldn't find anyone over the age of 30 to um, say that, that it was wrong. They could only find young people that had only been married for the first 10 years. All the people that had been married for longer than 10 years that had had an arranged marriage, they were all delightfully happy, and they couldn't see anything wrong with it. And that's the way we used to be. If you look in the, in the Old Testament, um, uh, Joseph or, or uh, Isaac had, had an arranged marriage. Abraham sent his, um, his servant off to go and find him a wife from, from his own people. So we had arranged marriages years back, and people that, that married for lust or love were looked down upon. We were coming all the way from that to people just swapping sexual partners as if they were a, a homosexual, and then not being able to hold down a marriage, not being there for their children, even if they want to be there for their children, they, they can't make the marriage last because they've had so many partners beforehand. And that's the, the, the sorry state of affairs that we've come come down to after throwing away our, our Christian morality because 50, 60 years ago it was never like that and it, people can say oh well you want to have lots of partners if you want to have lots of children but they don't have lots of children you know we were having 6 to 10 children in some families 50 or 60 years ago when we had this uh, uh, Christian morality that was when we had huge families with loads of children which is what we need now lots of white children but if you look at today with our, our, our lax morality and our, our multi partners that we have we don't have so many children even the people that are married don't have so many children uh, you know it's not so, so good having lots of white kids that have only got a single mother because they're only getting half the education, half the love and half the security that they need to produce decent, upstanding white adults, which we need on our side. Well, when a man has serial sex partners, women, provided he's a heterosexual man, women become a commodity and, and, and their value plummets. So we have women, white women, being raped by aliens all over the place, but those white women are not perceived as having any value to most of the men in their communities. 
and, and a lot of those women spread themselves around, but that doesn't that that should not diminish their value to the race if they are still um, possible wives and mothers. Now, in this story of this Levite, this he, he picked up some some woman and made her a concubine, made her a secondary wife, but he still had an, a a commitment to her and did his best to keep that commitment until there was a proverbial gun to his head and it was his life or hers and he gave up her. And, and that's the story in, in, in Judges chapter 19. Now, he took her and she went to play the whore and left and went to her father's house. And his commitment to her was strong enough that he followed her and went after her and, and met her father and spent a few days there and got her back from her father's house. So even though she played the whore, he still had a commitment to her as his concubine. And when she was raped and murdered, he upheld his commitment to her by seeking justice for what happened to her. And the entire nation stood up for that. So, so even though what we've... Um, a lot of us have had a shady past, those who are, are moral among us should seek to defend us regardless. And, and these, these um, rapes in Sweden, and, and we picked on Sweden tonight because it's, a, um, it, it, it's where the problem is the largest and, and, and the, the ability of the white population to stand up for it appears to be the smallest and, and that might be changing we hope um, we have um, indications that, that I, I, I really didn't plan on talking about today but the, the um, interest in Sweden in, in far right websites and neo-Nazi websites and things like that seems to be skyrocketing so there seems to be if the numbers are right that I'm reading, it, it seems to be that maybe some Swedish males are waking up in significant numbers. That's what we would hope. That's besides the point. Until we return to an understanding of our basic and traditional Christian morality, we're going to be powerless to defend ourselves. This um, neo-paganism doesn't do it. Neo-paganism has no moral foundation that, that's written in stone, and, and I'm referring to the Ten Commandments, and it, it has, it, it had no ability in, in um, the ancient world. These ancient pagans, they did not stand up for their fellow man on, in, in, in the, um, within the bounds of, of racial kinship. That they, I could talk about um, that the ancient pagan Germans all day, and and they looted and pillaged each other constantly, and 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 might was right, and 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 not real true justice and righteousness, and and a um, a care for one's fellows even when they were weaker than you are. 
so, so paganism has a lot of problems, and and paganism is not the answer to a um, recovery among our people by any means. We'll probably do a whole program on that one day in the future, in the near future, I hope. But the only um, solution to, to our woes is a return to Christian morality and, and, and a support for, for one another amongst strictly ethnic lines and a rejection of the aliens. But we need that moral authority before we can even start to do those other things. Yeah, paganism was what, what we were when we were children. We grew from paganism into Christianity. Pa Christianity was superior, and our pagan beliefs were shown to be inferior to that. And that's why we changed into Christians. That's what our beliefs evolved into Christianity. And it was through through Christianity that enabled us to form the nations that we have today. It is interesting. It, I, it's a great um, story there that that you picked, Bill, because it does show you that those those eleven nations of Israel all united together. They weren't fighting one another. They united together to go against that one group who were harboring the race mixed rapists that were among them that wouldn't hand them up. And it, and you know this was a biblically inspired people. They united to fight and defend the honour of that one woman. And you know, there are plenty of cases where um, we united to to fight against people in our history once we were once we were Christians, like the the Celtic British people that, that were united to fight against the Anglo Saxons. Once the Anglo Saxons had settled down and became Christian along with the Celts, we united to fight against the Normans. Or against the Vikings, sorry. And then we accepted the Vikings, they became Christian, they became part of our nation, and we accepted the Normans. And they were all different different uh, groups, but they were all part of the white race, and it all originally came from the same place. They just split up into different warlike nations that were fighting against one another. But eventually, it was Christianity that, that united us and enabled us to set up our universities and our infrastructure and led to what we have today, and the moral and the, and the moral system that we had. Because until we had Christianity, our women weren't valued; they were used as prostitutes in, in the temples, and, it, and that was that was paganism was using the women as prostitutes. And when Christianity came along, it, it gave women a, a sense of value, and it, 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 there were there were records of this, of um, like Rome before. It became Christian, and the way that they would treat their women, and then the the Goths and and the Vandals, who were early Christians, they were amazed at, at the at the immorality that they saw in Rome, and they they changed it, and they brought in the strict laws, and that's why they were able to to, de to defeat Rome, was because it, it had become immoral. It, it it was claiming to be Christian, but it had lost its Christian morals. And when you lose your morality, then anyone can take you down. You know, I mean, all you have to see when you when you haven't got the morals to stand up to somebody, 
They can show you pornography or they can offer you alcohol or they offer you drugs or they can offer you to do something dishonorable. It's much easier for you to, to be, um, to be taken down if you haven't got those morals. But if you've, if you've, if you've got your moral defense, then it's much harder for these people to take you down and to corrupt you. And in the end, that's all the Jew has got, basically. He's just got all these vices that he wants to use to try to corrupt you. And if you've got that strength, that Christian strength, to resist those vices, then the Jew's got no power over you. You know, it's only these, these vices that give him that power that he has. He has no power over me. I reject all of his, all of his um, poisonous little delights that he tries to push onto people. I won't watch pornography, and I won't like the music, I don't take drugs, and, you know, I won't, I won't get drunk, and I'm not interested in that, and it's Christ that gives me the strength to resist all those things, and it was Christ that gave our ancestors the strength to resist all those vices, and that's, that's why we had our strong societies that, that built the world that we have today, and that's why they're crumbling now, that's why we've allowed these alien beasts into our nations, it's because we've, we've lost our faith, we've lost our traditions, we think we're better than our ancestors were, we think our ancestors were these terrible racists, these backward people that were following this foreign god. It wasn't a foreign god, it was our god and it was the right thing to do and that was what made us the people that we are today. You know, pa paganism made us what people we are today as well, but that was before we were Christian. The, the pagans grew into the Christians. We cannot go back to being pagans today. We cannot go back to being children. We're adults. We can't go backwards in time. We've got to keep going forwards. The, the Jews were having a swell time in pagan Europe. The Jews were having a swell time in pagan Rome. Cicero wrote about it. He, he, he made several comments about it. Other Roman writers made comments about it. The Jews were having a hell of a time in... in, in um, Pagan Spain, Pagan Iberia, both and Pagan Gaul, both before and after the Goths and the Franks. It was when the uh, the Goths had, had, had um, the Visigoths had had turned to Christianity and, and excluded the Jews because that was only done in Europe when Europe became Christian that they excluded the Jews that the um, the Jews began to look for ways to undermine newly Christian Europe and, and, and to launch invasions of it against it by the first by the Arabs, then by the Turks, and, and, and they eventually did undermine Europe, but the love of money is the root of all evil, and the Jews were successful in undermining Europe through usury first in Britain in the 11th and 12th centuries with the Normans and, and their admittance of Jews into England, and, and then later in, in the subversion of, of the Roman Church and, and the acceptance of usury under the Jewish de Medici popes in, in, from the uh, early 16th century, and, and that set us down, that set all Europe down a slippery slope. The, the reformers in Germany, the German reformers, were against usury. Martin Luther knew that it was a scourge. Calvin, in, in France, accepted usury. And, and, and likewise, um, eventually followed figures like 
cotton mather in the United States in the 18th century, and, and, and that led us down a slippery slope that gave the Jews power over our society today. It was the acceptance of usury and, and all those other sins and idols which the, um, the Jews have, have foisted upon us organized sports, television media, print media that we worship today, that they, that they followed. They followed too. It, it was inevitable that we would accept all of the idols of the Jews, the pornography, after we had accepted their usury. And, and uh, that, that's, you know, the, the, the decline of Europe, that there, it, it's, a, it's a complex story. But it was only truly united in, in the um, and, and even then we had problems but there was nothing like what happened after the French Revolution what, once the Jews had gotten full control and, and the, the feudal system was broken down through the secret societies and through usury and, and the Jews had gotten basically full control of our society through the central banking system by the late 18th and early 19th centuries and, and <clears throat> were able to do the things that we, they've done to us today with, with the, um, the American Civil War and the World Wars and, and, and um, well, the Napoleonic Wars even. So that those, um, that those wars all resulted from our acceptance of Jewish usury and the acceptance by various European nations of the central banking system. So it's what we, we have a lot of problems with morality as a people that go even deeper than the sexual morality that, that we see being our biggest problem today, that the um, usury was a moral issue just 200 years ago. But the churches all eventually accepted it, and no longer was it a moral issue. Well, it's still a moral issue. People just don't realize it. So, so our immorality is a lot deeper and further back than only the recent sexual immorality. The pagans, pagan Rome, pagan Spain, pagan Germans, wherever pagans were, accepted usury. And didn't see a problem with it. So, so paganism, it is, it is, um, it is a moral vacuum for the most part. And, and there's a lot of other problems with paganism. Christianity forbids usury. If people would only read their Bible, they would understand that the God of the Bible despises usury, and that men at one time saw that it was a curse upon themselves to borrow at usury or to loan money at usury. So there's moral problems in, in white nations, formerly Christian nations, are, are rooted a lot more deeply than simply sexual immorality. And, and hopefully we'll talk about this at a much greater extent in the weeks and months to come. Thank you for joining me, Sven, and I believe um, we should probably be here again 
on October 12th. Yes, thanks, Bill. I've uh, enjoyed tonight. I hope people have enjoyed listening, too. Thank you. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. We will be here October 12th with our next installment of Christagenia Europe.